Today, I talk to Daryl Rigby. Daryl is a partner based in Bain's Boston office, where he leads the firm's global innovation and agile practices. In this episode, we'll be discussing Daryl's new book called Doing Agile Right. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to the Exponential Organization podcast. I'm your host, Lance Pepler. The purpose of this podcast is to bring you thought leaders from around the world, giving input into how you and your organization can grow exponentially. This show is sponsored by Deerstorm, a leading exponential growth consultancy. They can provide services ranging from an hour advisory call with a network of over 5,500 consultants worldwide through to the 10-week EXO Sprint. So visit www.ideastorm.co.za to find out more. Won't you do me a favor? If you like this podcast, won't you tell others about it? That would be fantastic. Now on with the interview. Today, our guest is Daryl Rigby. Daryl Rigby is a partner based in Bain's Boston office. He leads the firm's global innovation and agile practices and is the former head of Bain's global retail practice. He's a frequent speaker and writer on innovation and retail issues, including agile innovation, uh, both brain innovation, omni-channel retailing, winning in turbulence, brand positioning, and change management. He regularly speaks at management conferences and had made media appearances on CNBC, CNN, Moneyline, and Bloomberg. His research is widely published in the business pages of many U.S. and international publications, including the Harvard Business Review, the Wall Street Journal, Business Week, and the Financial Times. He's the author of The Winning in Turbulence in 2009, and his new book, of which we're talking to him about today, Doing Agile Right. So welcome to the podcast, Daryl. Lance, you're so kind to have me. Thank you. I look forward to talking to you. Thank you. Uh, so, Daryl, where am I speaking to you from today? I'm in Boston today. I hunkered down in Utah for about four months with my three children and eight grandchildren, but I got back to Boston a few weeks ago, and I am cocooning here now. <laughs> um, Daryl, could you give us a brief overview of your career and your role at Bain? Sure. Uh, let's see. I joined Bain as a summer associate back in 1977. So I guess I've been with Bain for about 43 years now. I led Bain's global retail practice for 26 years. And then back in 2005, I started Bain's global innovation practice. So I've been leading that practice for about 15 years now. Wow. And, and Daryl, thank you so much for writing the book, Doing Agile Right. Uh, it's up, amongst other things, it's on the Amazon bestseller list. What was the purpose in writing the book? Well, first of all, I love Agile. <laughs> I just love <laughs> Agile ways of working. It has changed the way that I approach work. And one of the things that I've noticed about the Agile community is it is a group that likes to share with other people, loves to help other people. I should say I'm also a fly fisherman, and it's one of the things that I've noticed about fly fishermen is if you love fly fishing, you love teaching other people how to fly fish. <laughs> and so I, I think there's something true about that with Agile as well. And I just believe Agile is designed for the ways that humans work, not robots, mm. uh, not automatons. It's the way humans work. And 
it's better for customers, it's better for employees, it's better for shareholders, it's better for our communities. So we wanted to really help three different kinds of leaders. The first group was leaders of large companies that wanted to learn how to use Agile. Because mm. I think there are a lot of people that were hearing lots of talk about Agile, but they didn't really understand how it worked or why it is better. They wanted to get started on it, but they wanted to get started in the right way. And so this was designed to be a, a very practical guidebook. Mm. But the second group was leaders of large companies that got started doing Agile, but on the wrong foot, often with the very best of intentions. But somewhere along the line, they got some bad guidance. It didn't go the way they wanted it to go. And now they want to fix it. And then I think the third group we had in mind was leaders of small or medium companies, medium-sized companies that are pretty agile today, but what they worry about is how do we preserve this agility as we grow larger? We hear so many problems, so many terrible stories about people that lose their ability to innovate as they get larger. How can we fight that? And I will say that like most good Agile products, the purpose probably evolved a little bit during the 18-month period that we were writing the book. Because when you're studying and talking to so many companies that have, many of them have actually launched hundreds or even thousands of Agile teams. Mm. So they know how Agile teams work. But when you get behind closed doors, they'll say, yeah, we've got hundreds of teams. We've got thousands of teams. But what we want to know now is how do you stitch them together to build an agile business? Uh -huh. And that turned into the real purpose of the book was to help executives figure out how can we build a business that will thrive in a world of accelerating and unpredictable change? A world, by the way, very much like the one we find ourselves living in today. Yes, yes, definitely. So that raises a, you know, a lot of different questions, but maybe you can take a step back. And, and can I ask you, for those people, those few people listening to this podcast who don't know about Agile, could you give us a brief overview of what Agile is? Yes, thank you. Actually, it's a great question because I think one of the problems with Agile is it is such a beautiful word that it gets hijacked to communicate almost anything that somebody wants to communicate. So quite simply, uh, we describe innovation as or Agile as a mindset and a method for improving innovation and doing that through deep customer collaboration and adaptive testing and learning. And there are two ways to think about Agile as I alluded to in your previous question. And that is there are Agile teams and then there are Agile businesses. Yeah. And we call them both Agile but they're a little different. So let me describe each of them. Agile teams are easy. To tell you the truth, I think almost anybody can do agile teams. Uh, but agile teams are small, they are cross-functional, they are fully dedicated work groups, 
that are focused on creating innovative improvements to customer products and services, mm. to the business processes that produce them, and the technologies that enable those processes that enable those products and services. Mm. So each team has an owner, someone who is ultimately responsible for delivering value to customers. They have a coach who helps the team to continuously improve its speed and effectiveness and happiness. Mm -hmm. And the team members then work together to break big, large, complex problems into smaller modules and then start building working versions of potential solutions in short cycles, typically less than a month, most frequently something like two weeks. And those are frequently called sprints. Uh -huh. So the process is very transparent to everyone. Team members hold brief daily stand-up meetings to review their progress and identify roadblocks. They resolve disagreements through experimentation and feedback rather than through endless debates or appeals to authority. And then they test small working prototypes of part or all of the solution of the offering with customers for short periods of time. Mm. And if customers get excited, then a prototype might be released almost immediately, even if some senior executives aren't really fans or others think it needs more bells and whistles. And then the team gets together and brainstorms ways to improve future cycles and prepares to attack the next top priority on the list. So that's how teams work. But there's this other definition of agile, which for most companies is still on the horizon. And that's what we call creating the agile enterprise or the agile business. Mm. And that's really what this book ends up being about. It focuses on how do you scale all of these teams to improve the performance of the overall organization. And it allows the business to run efficiently, it allows the business to adapt effectively, and it figures out how to harmonize operations with innovation so that they, they collaborate, they work together to make the organization far more fun, far more effective, far better for everybody in the organization. And I think it elevates, it raises the, the roles of everybody, everybody in operations as well as people that are doing innovation. I think sometimes agile zealots have a tendency to say, well, if you're not part of, the, of an agile team, then you're nobody. Well, that doesn't help because 80% of an organization are people that are probably going to be working in operations in fairly traditional ways. And we want those people to improve as well. We want them to be obsessed with helping customers and we want them to respect the power of diversity and, and diverse teams. And we want them to be contributing ideas from the front lines. They're the ones that are closest to customers, closest to operations. So mm. tell us, please, how can we make what we're doing for customers better, more effective, more efficient? So it involves the entire organization in the process. Huh. 
Uh, and could you give us like an overview of how that works? So does an enterprise have overriding objectives that get set with like, agile leadership, et cetera, and then does that get distilled down into the various operational teams? Uh, and does it still go down into the individual teams within an organization to run their own agile um, processes within a larger agile objective? It does. I, I'll just build on that with a couple of thoughts. One yeah. is, yes, Agile always starts by clarifying the purpose and the strategy of the organization because it's much easier to delegate authority to people when you are confident that they have the same purpose and the same strategy in mind that you do. Mm -hmm. If you don't trust their objectives, if you, if you don't trust what you're trying to do, you can just create chaos by letting everybody do what they want to do. So yes, Agile starts by building a very common uh, purpose, a, a very common strategy of here's what we're trying to accomplish. Everybody needs to understand that because we're all pulling in the same direction. Mm. And then we will translate that purpose, that strategy into objectives for all parts of the organization to see how what they're doing adds up to create the whole that we're trying to accomplish and how each of these roles is so important. And then we actually increase the transparency of work across the organization. I know there are a lot of people that like to think about innovations as happening in some secret lab uh, a mile down below the surface of the earth behind iron doors, <laughs> and, and it's all very clandestine and secret. But in Agile, that's not the way it works. In Agile, we want people in the organization to see what innovations we're working on so that they can say, I worked on something like that about two years ago. Would you be interested in what we learned? Or my goodness, the things that you're working on, that could help me with a problem I'm dealing with today. Can I talk to you about it? Or when will this be done? Because we've got a new product release coming out. How do we coordinate calendars? So one of the first things that changes in the organization is let's increase the visibility of what each other is doing and figure out how to improve collaboration among all of us so that our customers will get the benefit, the full benefit of all of our capabilities and each of us individually can grow and learn and develop from each other so that we're better as a team than we are apart. Mm. And how is that done exactly? Does it, is it by using social technologies like Skype or Microsoft Teams, or is it a repository of information? How does that get shared uh, across the organization? Yes, it's a great question. And some of it, when, when we were in uh, a more normal work environment, often these team rooms would be very open. There would be whiteboards filled with post-it notes. Yeah. And even, by the way, uh, one of the things we believe strongly is that the senior leadership team should be working as an agile team. So the mm. senior leadership team would have a room where they would put on a board the things that they're working on, what the backlog of priorities looked like. And anybody that wants to could come by and see what the senior leadership team was working on at wow, any point Wow, that's quite in transparent. <laughs> it is very transparent. And they would often, when they were working together, open it up to people that could 
walk by and watch it or could uh, watch it on a, on a Zoom meeting like you and I are doing today and yeah. people could watch the process happen. But yes, now in a more remote environment, people are learning to use some impressive software packages so that you can go in, anybody, any authorized person can go in and see what are the activities that we as a corporation are working on, who's working on them, how many people are working on each of these projects? Is it something that looks like a big breakthrough? Is it on track or is it off track? Much greater visibility into what all people in the organization are working on. Sure. And would you suggest that everyone has access to this repository to see what's being worked on and what other people are doing, etc., across the entire organization? I would. I would say there are some cautions with security issues. Mm. And so yeah. you want to make sure that some hacker can't get in and get access to everything, all of the company secrets. So there of are course. security issues to deal with. But yes, it dramatically opens up the visibility to everybody in the organization of what's going on over there. And and that builds trust. You know, one of the things that I find in too many organizations is we get in our silos and we build sometimes unflattering stereotypes of other parts of the organization. And me and my silo, we're the good folks. But the the other people, the, the accountants, well, those are just bean counters or the legal department. We call them the sales prevention department because they won't let us do anything. And it, it turns into something that is quite destructive as opposed to let's get people from these departments working together, developing trust, understanding what each other does. And it builds much stronger general managers as they grow up through these agile teams because they get a glimpse into what everybody does. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? How, who do I know in this department if I get myself into trouble? Who can I call over there and know that they'll get back to me relatively quickly? So mm. a very important part of building a, a next generation of leaders, I think. I just want to break into this podcast to introduce you to a new friend I found. Her name is Zoe Routh, and she's from the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast. Hi, this is Zoe Routh. I'm the host of the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast, where we talk all things people when it comes to leadership. We show CEOs how to cut their people management issues by 75%, all while building a team they love to lead. On the show, we interview CEOs from around the world on their leadership experiences, all the good, all the bad, all the ugly. <laughs> we also interview experts who've written fabulous books on culture and communication. Along the way, I occasionally stump up and share my own toils and tribulations on my leadership journey. I hope you'll join us. You'll find us on any of the podcasting platforms. And it's Zoe, Z-O-E, Routh, R-O-U-T-H, like mouth with an R. I look forward to hearing you listen in. Now, back to the interview. Now, can I delve into your role at Bain a bit? You lead the firm's global innovation and agile practices. Could you give us an idea of you know, how big that practice is and what roles you play in organizations when you assist them? Sure. Uh, so we have, over the past two years, worked with, well, I would guess, about 300 uh, 
companies doing these kinds of agile projects. So we've got mm -hmm. hundreds of people in our agile practice um, and even more that do innovation in general. Yeah. But I, I will say I'm obviously very biased. I think they're some of the most fun and creative people at Bain, kind of self-selecting, I guess, people who are creative and love innovation and want to do this. And so it's a group that enjoys working together. And uh, if you can if you can help companies, you know, there's a lot of science that shows that people who are happier are more creative, more innovative, and people who are more creative and innovative are happier. Mm. So I don't, I don't so much care where it starts, uh, but if I can get that, that cycle going in the right direction, then it's a lot of fun. And so it's fun for us to work together at Bain doing that. And it's so much fun to take it to clients and watch how much fun it can be there as well. Wow. And so without giving any like company details, obviously totally confidential, could you tell us what kind of you know, services those are and what, what uh, like success stories you've had with customers and work that you've been doing with customers around innovation and agile? Oh, sure. That's, that's fun to do. So typically when we're helping a company to become more innovative or uh, use agile in better ways, we'll almost always start with the senior levels of the organization because one of the things that we find is that if you talk to agile teams and say, what keeps you from scaling or adopting or doing agile better among tens of thousands of teams, the top four or five answers are always about leadership being involved, the culture being supportive, the leaders actually understanding how this works and exemplifying agile principles and practices. So mm -hmm. we almost always start at the top of the organization. We begin, as you suggested earlier, by helping them to clarify what their purpose and what their strategy is and we help them to build a portfolio of opportunities of where could we be doing this you know it's it's a little like if you if you're developing your own personal investment portfolio if you're getting ready for retirement or if you're a newlywed and you say I, I know I need some cash and stocks and bonds but what should that mix look like we work with them to understand their particular situation and say as we look at this we think you could probably use an innovation portfolio that is this size rather than that size and it should probably be more heavily weighted towards breakthrough innovations or incremental innovations. And so we'll help them to develop a portfolio of what might their innovation uh, portfolio mm. look like over time. And then we help them to prioritize it and actually develop those innovations. And then we help them to prototype and test those innovations. And then we help them to scale and deliver and turn that into a repeatable process. Mm. So we will often start uh, when we're introducing Agile, for example, we'll probably start with a, a handful or two of, let's see how Agile can work in your organization. And we'll get five or 10 teams running just 
just humming and becoming beacons of inspiration for the rest of the organization to say, I want to work like that. Yes, if I mm. can do what that team is doing, count me in. And then we'll start opening it up to more waves of additional departments where we're doing agile innovation. And then we're scaling it and doing it in bigger, bigger and bigger programs. And then we will eventually get to building an agile enterprise and we'll start helping people to experiment with faster cycle times, for example, in their planning and budgeting and reviewing processes. We'll work on the culture. We'll, we'll work on the talent engine. We'll start changing some of their business processes. So uh, it's, a, it's a really fun, productive, agile way of becoming an agile organization. Sure. Uh, just to go back to the, the book briefly again, so doing Agile right, um, in chapter four, you talk about this Agile leadership. Could you give us any you know, um, insights into, how, into the role of the leadership of an Agile enterprise? What, what role should they be playing? Yes, it's a great question because honestly, I don't think any role in the organization changes more than the role of leaders. I really think they, they are at the leading edge of what has to change. And I say that because for a hundred years, the traditional concept of how a leader adds value has been, well, a leader adds value by predicting and commanding and controlling. Mm. That is, a leader should be the one that has a vision for where the organization is going to go. And it better be right, because once we establish this vision, then we command all parts of the organization as to what they should do to achieve that vision. Mm. And we create plans, we create budgets, and then we control people to make sure that they adhere to those commands, that they adhere to those plans. So the assumption is... I will predict with perfect accuracy what we need to become. That's my job, to be the smartest person in the room, the smartest person in the company, and your job is to do it. Mm. There's only one problem with that, which is all sorts of data suggests that those kinds of predictions are wrong two-thirds of the time. Mm. Wrong. <laughs> and so uh, kinds of uh, analysis, for example, there's a professor... Amar Bidet, who looked at the Inc. 500, the fastest growing private companies in the U.S., and said, well, you're obviously successful now, but let's go back in time and say, how did your strategy start? How much have you had to change from where you began to how you got to success? Well, lo and behold, two-thirds of them had to change their strategy significantly to get to success. Or if you talk to venture capitalists, like one of them, Fred Wilson, uh, who talks about, I've looked at my portfolio of, of successes, and I find that two-thirds of them are very different today than from the business plan that I originally funded. So if you accept this, then that means that these predictions are likely to be wrong, and your role, mm. therefore, as a leader has to change from predict, command, and control to learn and adapt and unleash Mm. where your role is not to control people. 
your role is to unleash the potential inside of those people and allow them to adapt to unpredictable environments, unknowable environments. Mm. That's a very different role. But Bain's analysis shows that companies that learn how to do this actually get 40% greater productivity and much happier employees when they can do this, 40%. Mm. Now think about that. You know, that means that by 10 a.m. on Thursday, you've done as much work as most companies will do all week long. (laughs) And so in a decade, you'll get 30 times greater output than a traditional company if we can figure out how to unleash that potential inside people. But wow. that's, a, that's a very different role for leaders, I think. Wow. Um, so, Dara, I want to continue to read your thoughts. I'm, I mean, I want to stay in contact with what you're thinking about. And I've read in the introduction that you write for the Harvard Business Review and the Wall Street Journal and the Business Week and the Financial Times. Is there any central place that I can go to, to apart from your book, obviously, uh, to read your latest thinking and uh, what you're writing? Do you have a, like a blog or a repository of stuff that I can access and, and our listeners can access to, to read your thoughts? Yeah, it's a little scattered all over the place, but probably okay. the easiest way to do that is to go to Bain.com, B-A-I-N.com. And just in the search box at the top, type Agile, and it will take you to some Agile pages that will connect you to a bunch of that. But like you say, there's a a lot of writing, particularly in the Harvard Business Review and some of those publications. It will guide you to some of that as well as uh, blogs where we're answering people's questions. And so... You may have to do a little bit of digging, but there's a lot out there. Yeah, that's where I went to Bain.com as well, and I've watched some of your videos and read your doc discussions on there. So, Daryl, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and just talking about your fantastic book, Doing Agile Right. I really appreciate your time. Um, You're if people very would like, kind. Those are great questions. Thank you. <laughs> if people would like to contact you, can they approach you on LinkedIn as well and send you a connection and a message? That's probably the best way. Yep. LinkedIn is a great way to connect. I I enjoy doing that and answering questions and sharing perspectives. I will say I learn as much from people on LinkedIn as they learn from me. So it's a great opportunity to to just collaborate. It's been such a pleasure having you. So thank you so much, Daryl. And Daryl Rigby is the author of Doing Agile Right. You can find it on Amazon and and. I'll put the links in the show notes so you can uh, find it on the Amazon. uh, Go search on Amazon for it. Um, So thank you very much, Daryl. And I hope you, the listener, found this as interesting and useful as I did. If you'd like to contact me, then please do. My email is lance at ideastorm.co.za and website is www.ideastorm.co.za. So until next week, um, goodbye. Have a good time. Goodbye. Has this interview with Daryl inspired you to buy his book, Doing Agile Right?, Then can I ask you to go to my website, www.ideastorm.co.za, click on the Buy Books tab and buy the book from there. You'll also find other best-selling books that have been featured on my podcast. That will help give a bit of financing and help to continue to improve this podcast. Thank you for doing this.